Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 16 and I am Chris Peters. So glad you could join me for this week's episode. We've got another good one for you and what an exciting time it is in hockey right now. As we record this, the Stanley Cup has not been given to a team or earned by a team yet. But by the time you listen to this, it may have been. So uh, congratulations to whoever wins that. But obviously, it's been an exciting postseason. But we're looking even more forward to the Seattle Kraken expansion draft and the 2021 NHL draft. The bread and butter for me, the, what I love to do. And we will have a lot of draft talk on this podcast. But it'll come a little bit towards the end when we get to our Q&A because I had a great opportunity to have a guest this week that is such a cool person and also a a just a gifted athlete. I mean, really one of the elite athletes that we have in this country. He is Josh Pauls, the captain of the U.S. National Sled Hockey Team, fresh off a gold medal at the World Para Ice Hockey Championship World Championships in Ostrava, Czech Republic. It's his fifth gold medal at the Worlds, and he's also a three-time Paralympic gold medalist, three consecutive Paralympic golds. So, uh, this is uh, one of the most dominant teams that you will find it in international hockey at any level. A, a very uh, intriguing group, uh, a talented group, inspiring group. And, and Josh Pauls will be here to talk about everything from his leadership style, from um, you know working his way up to the to the top of, of the national team after you know having some setbacks in the early on in his career. He started with the national team when he was just 16 years old, and so. I uh, went through some of the growing pains there and obviously, you know, what he had to overcome in his life. He was born um, without shin bones and, and was a bilateral amputee by, you know, for for much of his life now. And now he's he's obviously become one of the great sled hockey players that the U.S. has ever produced. He's one of only four that has more than 100 career points. And when you consider that he's been a defenseman for a good chunk of that, it makes it all the more impressive. A lot of great content um, and a lot of great conversation and I think you'll find Josh both engaging and entertaining and humorous because that is uh, his personality and and they call him spuds and he he is uh, full of spunk as well so really excited and he joined us the same week that he got married so pretty good little stretch that he's on here won a a gold medal he also uh, got married and now he's on the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. I don't know. I think I think things are looking really up for him right now. Uh, but looking forward to that. Before we get to the interview with Josh, I did want to remind you there's a ton of draft content on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack right now. That is where you will find all of the written content. It's got draft rankings. We'll have a mock draft coming out very soon. I've got draft class superlatives where I talk about who is the best at each skill and, and those things that, that are really important for, um, you know, as we get approaching this draft and, and we know it's not the strongest class and we know that there are things that, that, that these players are going to need to work on, but I wanted to highlight some of the things that they do really, really well and, and give you an idea of who those are. So check that out on hockey sense on Substack, and to access those posts, you will need a subscription. So please do subscribe. It really does support this podcast. If you're enjoying what you're listening here, the best way to, to keep it going is to help support my work and, uh, that is to subscribe at Hockey Sense. It's a completely independent media operation. I'm running it on my own. And if you can uh, spare uh, $6, you get a monthly subscription. And that gets you covered all the way through the draft. And if you're 
you know, you can cancel at any time, really. Uh, but we will have uh, plenty of content after the draft as well. I think that this is going to be a wild draft, and and you'll there, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. And I mean, I don't know what to expect as as much as maybe you don't. And I think a lot of the NHL teams are curious what to uh, what to expect. But I'm excited to see where things go, and we'll have plenty of coverage right here on uh, both on the podcast and on the the written site. Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. Again, that's hockeysense.substack.com. And as always, please leave a rating and a review for this podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. And uh, certainly those five-star ratings and those those written reviews really help move us up the rankings. So if you could spare a couple minutes to, to tell us what you like about the podcast or what you don't, but I mean, it'd be nice if you said what you did. Um, you can do that, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. We have 43 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts right now um and i'm really happy about that really excited glad you guys are digging it and uh if you leave a written review i will read it on the podcast next week because um we all could use a little daily affirmation and i would appreciate that and also want to encourage more people to leave uh reviews so uh please do please do check that out all right well we as I mentioned, we'll have the, our, our Q&A at the end of this podcast uh, after the interview with Josh Pauls. Really excited about that. And, you know, again, great questions. You can always ask me questions on this podcast at Chris M. Peters on Twitter, in the comment section on Hockey Sense on Substack, or you can also email me, HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com. That will also help you get your question answered right here on Talking Hockey Sense. And thank you again. I've gotten some of the best questions with some really thoughtful, uh, you know, premises, and it allows me to to try and sound smart, and it also allows me to not have to talk to myself, which is what I normally am doing um, in this podcast. So if you ask me questions, at least makes me feel like I'm talking to another person. Well, how about I talk to another person right now? Really excited to bring this interview to you. It's my conversation with three-time Paralympic gold medalist Josh Pauls. Well, I am so excited to be joined by probably the most accomplished guest that we've ever had on this podcast. I I, I shouldn't say probably. I know he is. So uh, Josh Pauls is a motivational speaker and author of the book Lessons Learned, My Journey to the Podium. And you also probably know him best as the captain of the U.S. National Sled Hockey Team. He is a three-time Paralympic gold medalist, a five-time world champion, and Josh Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to get right into it because you just picked up your fifth gold medal at the Para Ice Hockey Sled World Championships um, in in the Czech Republic. Number five. That's a, that's a nice nice uh, nice number there. Five of seven world championships. And you've been part of the sled program for a long time. I mentioned the three Paralympic gold medals, but it just seems like things are getting better and better for Team USA. What has it been like from your vantage point? Oh man. I mean, it's been night and day from where I started. I mean, we started in 2009, uh, USA hockey had just taken over our program a couple of years before that. Um, and I don't know, in 09, it was kind of a, a surprise to win. We'd never beaten Norway and we beat them one, nothing in the gold medal game, uh, with our captain Andy Yoey scoring with, I think like 11 seconds left in the third to, to get set up the one, nothing victory. Um, I didn't really play much back then. I had the best seat in the house sitting on, on the bench, but, 
um, to be able to be a part of something like that when I was, you know, 16 years old was absolutely unbelievable. And now to see, you know, the changes in, you know, just the players, the, the skill level, the dedication, the off ice habits, like so much has changed to the point where, you know, I think it's pretty akin to women's hockey where the games progressed a lot in the past couple of years. And um, we've followed a lot of the changes as far as like our pool play and our seating where like us and Canada are many times the, some of the top teams. So they stick us together in one pool and that's how it was this world championships. But I mean, it's, it's been unbelievable to, to see where the sports come and really see where we can take it in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my first exposure to sled hockey was in 2007. So a couple of years before you joined the program and I was, I was working at USA hockey at the time and I went to the, the world championships that year and they took bronze. And I mean, you know, and it felt like it was a ways away from being able to be a, a Paralympic gold medal contender yet. A couple of years later, guys like yourself and a few other younger guys and some of the veterans came back and you guys won that gold medal in 2010. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you guys allow a goal in that in that Paralympics in 2010? Not in 2010. We, we allowed <laughs> 30 shots maybe over the course of five games. Right. But uh, it was pretty cool to be a part of something that can be equaled but never really be topped. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, it's, it's impossible. And, you know, so you're, you know, you're one of the veterans now you've been there, you've seen it. You've been, you know, Steve Cash is another guy who's been there even before you were, he was, he was one of the few guys that was on that 2017 that, uh, that was, that's uh, still kicking around and in, in, in the national pool. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, just to see from, from now to then and watching you guys in the last world championship and seeing the young guys that have come up like Declan Farmer and Brody Roybal, um, and so many others that are new, you know, relatively new um, to the national team program. I mean, you know, just to me, it seems like, you know, as you said, night and day from, from the beginning, but everybody else in the world has kind of tried to get better too, but you guys seem to rise above and continue to, you know, be champions so often. I mean, what, I guess, what about the, we'll go kind of philosophical here. What about the mentality of, of your team? Uh, is is kind of what helps you guys continue to have this success, even as the countries around you are improving and becoming more competitive. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of different things. I mean, what, first of all, the support we get from you know USA Hockey and just our local programs and our grassroots programs around the country, like that's what keeps us competitive. Because if we don't have you know younger guys pushing us for spots, we're not getting any better and we're not able to to really develop. But as far as mindset, like. I mean, I remember when I first joined the team, we played in the, in a, a four team tournament up in Canada, my very first tournament and we won bronze. And I remember guys were throwing their medals away. They were just absolutely pissed that we couldn't get over the hump. And I was sitting there like, wow, this is my first ever medal I've won. This is pretty cool. Like I'm never getting <laughs> rid of this. And, uh, but you could kind of see that, you know, guys were getting fed up with just being a, a perennial bronze medal team. And so, you know, to go from winning bronze and then to winning a gold medal, you know, we beat Canada in a shootout in, this, in the semifinals of that game. But before it was, a, oh, wow, we can win. And ever since then, I think it's just become an expectation that we are going to win. Whether we do or not, um, it doesn't really matter. But if you go into the game worrying about, oh, well, maybe Russia's going to beat us, maybe Canada's going to beat us, you really can't go in with that mindset. Like, you have to go in knowing – we have a chance to beat them. We have the ability and just the confidence in our preparation because it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, yes, every little thing we do on the ice during the, uh, the games matters, but it's the preparation and the work, you know, months beforehand that really sets the stage for us to have that success because it's just repetitive. It's muscle memory. It's um, understanding and learning from mistakes. It's making sure that, you know, 
we go in with that competitive mindset that I think our coach David Hoff has done a really good job. I mean, a lot of our practices are small area games, you know, three on three in a zone or even in the middle of the ice. Um, it's just corner battles, but it's, it's finding that competitive fire. And I mean, not many teams can skate with us, but I don't think any team's going to outcompete us either. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that really stands out to me is the speed that you guys have played with and have been able to play with for the last several years now um, is really one of the separating factors. And you see it in, you know, the last Paralympics. I mean, I remember I was watching, you know, just on my couch and, and enjoying, uh, enjoying that game and, and here, you know, this mentality that I, I mentioned, I, I bring it up because it reminds me that we used to talk about this way about Canada at the world juniors, like some, for whatever reason, they'd find that last little bit at the end of the game. You know, you guys were trailing Canada late. They had an empty net. They hit the post. You guys come back, you tie it, win in overtime. I mean, you were on the ice for the overtime winner. I mean, you know, I, I want to go back to that because I think it's such an important moment. Um, obviously, it was the third consecutive. So you say, oh, ho-hum, they, you know, they won again. But really, that I think that was really what showed the, the, both the skill level, the heart, and, and the, the ability to stick with it that your team has and, ha- and continues to have. Uh, because, you know, you guys lost to Canada in the first game of this year's World Championship, and then you won the game that mattered at the end in pretty dominating fashion. So I just, I mean, I wonder from your standpoint, what was it like to be, you know, a part in, in, in now, now that you were a veteran on the team to be part of that last Paralympic gold medal? Because, I, I mean, that, that to me is one of the historic moments in, in the history of sled hockey right there. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get – get to that in a roundabout way because, you know, I'm a talker and, you know, yeah, a speaker, that's what I do, but do I think <laughs> every Paralympics has been kind of unique. Right. So like mm-hmm. in 2010, that was the very first time that any country had ever repeated as champions. Uh, we won our first gold medal in 2002. And the only reason the team got in was because they were the host country. They were the eighth seed. They were, at, I mean, I, I hope I'm not insulting these guys by saying they, they, they knew they weren't all that great, but they, they found a way at, in the end to win Mm -hmm. in a shootout, clinch that gold medal. And, you know, to go from the eighth seed only getting in because you're, you're the host and you get that automatic in and to go from that to, to champs is, is absolutely amazing. They a hundred percent paved the way for, for guys like me to enjoy the success we've had. Um, But everything's been unique. You know, like I said, Vancouver was, Hey, it was the first time we won again. It was in 2014. It was the first time any team had ever gone back to back. So third, you know, the third one in 2018, um, it was just a different vibe about it. Like it was just, it was, you know, everyone was in one village instead of two. Um, but it was a, it was just a really unique way to, to go about it. And then to go in uh, without some of our top defensemen and be able to just pull that, that game out. You know, I, I'm always thankful that they hit that post because I know some of our guys were pretty gassed out there. And I mean, if they had scored that, that definitely would have iced it. But I think you know, the one moment I'll always remember is as soon as Declan scored, he celebrated real quick. And then he said, okay, guys, we still have 30 30 seconds left. We still have to get out of this period without letting, like allowing a goal. And so for him to go score, probably one of the biggest goals in USA hockey history to, okay, well, we got to focus. We got to move on to the next, like, you can't really sit back on your laurels and really, you know, think about all the accomplishments, like, you know, eight gold medals is great, but that doesn't help us win and win the next one. The experience does, but I mean, every game, every day is a new day. Yeah. And it, you always hear, I mean, that's the champion mentality, right? The, the, everybody's favorite championship is the next one. You typically, so, you know, and that that's huge. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, farmer scores the game tying goal in the dying seconds. And then he scores the overtime game winner. Um, you know, you are one of the guys, you know, looking at the, at the, at the, 
the all-time leaderboard. I think there are only four players in the history of USA hockey that have over a hundred points. And, and you're one of those guys. And now you've got these two young pups coming in um, and that, and you're still young yourself. And you, you started on the team as a teenager, but uh, Brody Roybal uh, is, and, and Declan Farmer are two of the guys that are, that are up there right now and have, you know, they've only been with the team. What is it? I think they've had two Paralympics already or one Paralympics. So, um, or yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, and they're, they've kind of come in and, and become, you know, stars of stars, of the game. So, I mean, a, as a guy that came into the system early, what has it been like for you to kind of, and as the captain to, to be, you know, kind of guiding these, these young guys, this new generation, and, and maybe what are some of the things that you think they have uh, brought to your team that's taken you guys to the next level? I mean, it's been fun to watch. That's for sure. And yeah. I mean, I mean, their careers and my careers, I don't think could have been any different. I mean, I, when I was 17 years old, I was a, a fourth line forward on a team that only had three lines. So, um, <laughs> but you know, you're just, I'm, at that point, you're just happy to be there because, you know, you never really know when, when your time's coming, but to see them come on and Declan, I mean, he, he dominated right away. He was all, all of a sudden a top 10 top caliber player on the team uh, when he made it in 2013. And then Brody, I remember coach Sauer, uh, Jeff Sauer coached our team for, mm-hmm. Uh, since 2012 up to 2017 when he passed away. And I remember he, he came up to ask me before they, they picked the team in Sochi. And he was like, do you think Brody can make it? I was like, well, if we're going to take an extra player and we're going to carry 18 and have to whittle it down to 17, what's, get, what's it going to hurt to get him a couple months of experience, even if he's not ready? And if he's not ready, then, I mean, Bro- Brody is Brody. Like, he's a fiery kid. He's going to, even if you cut him, he's going to make it his way back. Like, that's just his personality. And, I mean, he him Declan and I ended up becoming part of the diaper line. They called us. I was the oldest one in 20 at 21. Um, But you know, it was just amazing to watch those kids go from, from really good players to just absolutely purely dominating players. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's been kind of nice moving back to defense so I can just feed them pucks and say, Hey, I'll be back here if you need me. Yeah. Yeah. A couple easy secondaries and primaries for you. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, well, when we played uh, Korea, I think, uh, I guess Brody was trying to get Steve in a, an assist. So Steve threw it up to me. Uh, it was a five on three power play. I ca- passed it to him at maybe the top of the circles in our own zone. He just took it down the ice and scored. And I was like, wow, he made that look really easy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it, it's some of those, like they could, I don't think they could be any different uh, in terms of their play styles. Um, Declan's a very much slow it down, beat you with his mind and his physical tools where Brody's just, I'm going to just run you into the ground until you can't go anymore. And I can keep going. Yeah. And it's so much fun to watch both of them and to, to play on the same team, on the same line, on the same power play unit. Cause like you said, to get a lot of secondary apples. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and these, you know, this is, this is the future of the game. And I, you know, I did want to mention too, I mean, like, you know, you know, this, this last, world championship was not easy because you guys had come off of essentially like everyone else a year away without, without your primary competition, without being able to play in the, in the biggest events against the the teams as, as you're nearing a Paralympics. Um, So I just, I just wonder how, how it was just to be back together and, and, and able to play. Cause I mean, really, even when you guys went into the Czech Republic, they weren't, they weren't even letting Americans in yet. So, you know, like they, you guys had to go through, you know, a different protocol and everything, but I'm sure, I'm sure it felt worth it in the end. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just nice to get back together. I mean, our last event, we played Canada in a two game series up near Toronto and uh, that was in February of 2020. And we didn't get back together 
for our tryout camp until May tw- or March 2021. So we had four camps. We had two tryout camps where they, they took 23 or 24 players, and then we ended up trimming it down to 17 for the last two. Um, and it, I mean, it was tough, but our coaches, I think, did a great job of keeping everybody, you know, in touch with each other. We had regular Zoom calls. Um, Corey Gorder, our defense coach, like we'd hop, get some of the defensemen on and we'd watch, you know, game film of our most recent games or and try to pick out little things. We'd focus on different stuff so we could kind of watch the same clips over and over um, through like different lenses. And so I think that really helped because, you know, I mean, these are some of my best friends there and not being able to be around them was really tough. I mean, I'm lucky to have Steve Cash here and a hockey program in St. Louis uh, that, you know, kept playing through most of the pandemic. I was pretty lucky. We didn't get too locked down for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, it was just so nice to be back together. And I mean, when they told us about all the different tests we'd have to go through that we we're in a bubble for the world championships. I mean, yeah, everybody can complain about, you know, Hey, this isn't, we're not going to be able to go, you know, go to Prague like we did last time we were in Ostrava, or we're not going to be able to go wander around and get pizza whenever we want it. But I think everybody was just itching for a chance to play that it didn't really matter. And I mean, they did just a phenomenal job. I mean, we had a team room where we could hang out. Um, guys brought Xboxes. We, I learned to play, you know, seven different card games now. And um, I mean, and we had some outdoor stuff, so we brought some footballs to throw around and like, it really, I don't know for when I think, Oh, two weeks of, you know, Shawshank uh, hotel prison from just the <laughs> hotel to the rink. I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to be rough, but it really, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, it was just, it was just really good to be back together again. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you guys certainly made the most of it. And I, I did want to mention too, in this, it, during this, throughout the tournament, you know, you were using uh, pride tape and you also um, were, you know, doing some charitable work as well for pride St. Louis. I just wonder if you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how your involvement uh, with that has, has come about. Yeah. Um, so I'm a board member of the uh, Carnegie initiative, um, which is working to increase d- diversity, inclusion in hockey and just go about it a few different ways that, you know, than other organizations have. And so I bought some pride tape because I wanted to do something tangible and I didn't want to just be performative. I didn't want to just say, Ooh, look at me. I can throw some tape on my sticks and, you know, skate <laughs> around and do my normal thing. So, um, it was pretty funny though, cause I was thinking about doing it and I found a local organization, pride St. Louis that's, uh, in St. Louis. And so I, uh, I asked our media guys, uh, or my communication guys, I don't know, whatever, whatever they want to be called. And I was like, Hey, uh, how many points have I had in the past couple world championships? Cause I mean, as much as I want to really donate a ton of money, I'd also my, like my bank account to not, you know, be blown out of the water. And so I had scored like six and eight points. So I think, all right, this is going to be fine. And then I think I ended up going for like two points a game. And I was like, man, like, I mean, but it, it was for a good cause. So I really can't complain too much. Um, so I ended up doing uh, $10 for every point I scored, uh, $20 for every win. And then uh, I ended up doing a hundred dollar bonus for winning the gold just because that, that last game was pretty, pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, from our perspective. And so, um, I really just, I wanted to find a way to actually give back and do something, you know, our world championship was during pride month and I just wanted to do something more than just was just something that was performative. I wanted to actually put, put my money where my mouth was. Yeah. And, and certainly, yeah, it helps when you, when you put a lot of pucks in the net and, and, and help the other guys put the pucks in the net as well. So um, yeah, so well, well done for that. And, and also one of the other things that you mentioned that I wanted to talk a bit more about, cause I think that this is something that maybe the people that, that aren't familiar with sled hockey may not realize that throughout the country, there are opportunities for them to get involved in sled hockey and that, you know, that there are 
local organizations. Many NHL teams have signed on with teams over the years and, and have put that together. So, I mean, and that, and that's also something that has grown what, you know, from the time that you started to now, I mean, what, what do you, what would you say the grassroots of, of sled hockey looks like and, and where is it going next? I mean, when I first started, it was, I mean, we had a pretty good youth organization and youth league out in the uh, Atlantic district because uh, I'm from mm-hmm. New Jersey and we had, you know, a group of four or five teams that we played, you know, from when I was 10 to 18, 17, 18. Um, but I mean, it's grown exponentially. You, you know, everybody talks about non-traditional hockey markets like, you know, California and um, Oregon, I know, but like the more teams that get added into the NHL, the more it spurs development of sled hockey teams, because um, I mean, they're all over the country. I mean, we have thousands of players across the country. And like I said earlier, that's kind of what keeps us in shape because we have so many people that are one able to watch the sport now on TV because of NBC's coverage and the Olympic channel and everything that they've done for us to, to kind of put us out there. And um, I mean, all of our guys have fantastic stories, but you know, you just see the 17 guys in the national team. That's so much more. There's so much more to sled hockey than just, just us, you know, right. there's kids that are starting for the first time, you know, at three, four or five years old, there's um, military veterans that are coming back after losing limbs that are using it as a rehab process. Uh, and there are people that, you know, sat there and thought, well, I'm never going to be able to play my favorite sport. I'm going to, all I'm going to be able to do is watch that may have had an injury or even were born like that and just didn't know, you know, sled hockey was an option. And now, they can play the game, which I don't think is all that much different than stand-up. I mean, X's and O's are a little bit different. Um, propulsion's a little bit different. I think sled hockey's harder, but that's just me. Um, but <laughs> no, I, mean, I can I vouch. Think, that's yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, you just, your, your arms are your arms and your legs. I mean, trust me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Being able to move your arms and legs independently and separate that upper and lower half is pretty, pretty damn impressive. But, um, but sled hockey is a whole other animal. And it's fun watching, you know, even NHL players get in sleds for the first time. They always have the shooting down, but it's always the skating part that, that's really right. tough for them. Right. Yeah. And if there's one thing that I think has really improved over the last few years in sled hockey, it is the shooting. You guys can absolutely rip it. I mean, the, the, release, the release points that you guys have and then also just the, uh, the, the, the velocity and everything. I mean, it's, it's just sick. So I, I think that, and also you have to remind, remember that those are also the, what you're using to skate with, you know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. So, um, that's been super impressive to me. And so since we talked about that, I, I just wonder your kind of your sled hockey origin story. I know, you know, you were, you were born and, you know, this is always, you've always had uh, been a bilateral amputee and this has been your experience and you have been, since you were 16 years old, one of the elite players in this, in this, in the world, um, in, in your sport. I mean, how did you, how did you get to that point and what was that process like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I was born with a condition known as tibial hemomelia. Don't ask me to spell it. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it basically means it's a fancy word for, I didn't have shin bones when I was born. So, I mean, uh, my parents, you know, went around to a bunch of different doctors to kind of figure out, you know, what was going on. They said, Hey, probably, amputation or you just keep your legs and be in a wheelchair and they figured that you know amputating my legs was going to be my best case scenario for you know having a being able to walk and and ambulate a little bit and so um my parents were both big hockey fans and they were uh my my dad loves the devils my mom used to go to games i mean she still has her uh white green and red uh mclean john mclean jersey i love and um i know uh just they i wanted to get into something i tried a bunch of different sports i tried wheelchair basketball i tried a little track and none of them really just kind of made me think oh yeah this is what i want to do 
I tried sled hockey once, um, absolutely hated it, but I don't know if that was because the, uh, everybody's eyes were kind of on me and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not used to this kind of pressure, but a team opened up out of uh, Woodbridge, New Jersey. My parents said, Hey, just go give it another try. I really wanted to be a goalie. I'm really glad they told me not to. Um, <laughs> and so, cause obviously, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I had tried that, but um, I started there. I played with them for a couple of years and finally got picked up by the, the U.S. national junior team, I guess. Um, yep. Now it's our, our development team, but at that right. time it was an under 20 team. And so uh, I, I started, I played a year there and then uh, one of uh, the national team guys got hurt and I guess I was the next man up and they wanted to, to br- kind of bring me back, bring me up and get some experience and ended up sticking on for that world championship in 2009. And then um, I think the pivotal moment in my hockey career was, was getting cut after that world championship. You know, we won in May, we, uh, we had tryouts again in July and I kind of, I guess I thought it was just hot shit and was like, Oh, I'll make this team no problem. And I remember the coach called me into a locker room right after the last skate. And he said, Hey, Josh, I don't think we're going to take you. There are just some guys that are bigger, faster, stronger, that just are going to help us win a gold medal that better than you can right now, but don't sulk. Don't just sit there and go, woe is me. Like, figure it out. And I remember driving back home from New Jersey or to New Jersey. And remember my dad was like, well, if you don't like it, just go prove them wrong. Like go work harder, go show them that they made a bad decision. You might get picked up. You might not. Um, we ended up having a guy retire in the middle of that year. And they called me up and I remember I got that call and I started running around my apartment without my legs on. I was just, I was so happy. I couldn't, uh, I really couldn't contain it, but so to be able to make it there and but realize that I went through the right steps, you know, I was a leader on the junior national team when I went back down there. I didn't sulk. I was in the gym regularly. I was skating more than I ever had. Like I just really wanted it. And that that's shown me that, you know, if I want ever want anything in this world, I got to work for it. And I think that really helps set the stage for, you know, my success as a player, but also as a person. Yeah. I mean, and what a great lesson that every single player, any person can take from that. Just, I mean, and, and that's really, it's such a valuable thing to do because I mean, it is, it is so, it can be so deflating in that moment. And then to, to be able to have the right response that probably made, made as much of a difference to them calling you back as anything else did just because they, they knew, you know, the people they were watching and they knew what was happening and it made sense to bring you back. And, and now, you know, you've had this, this chance to, to travel the world, to, to win Paralympic gold medals and to win, you know, to, to wear the C on your Jersey. I mean, you know, what, what is the locker room environment like? What are your leadership styles like, you know, as you've now grown into this uh, leadership position and having had that experience at the junior level probably helped you quite a bit as well. So I just wonder, you know, what's your maturation process been like in your leadership process like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been super beneficial to kind of start off as, like I said, a fourth line forward on a three line team. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand, like, I, I've never been scratched in my career. Well, I guess I was once when I was super sick, but I've never been healthy scratched, I guess, in my career because uh, we our rosters weren't that big back then. Uh, I probably would have had our rosters been bigger, but um, I really I think that that gives me a lot of different perspectives. So I can I can relate to to the elite guys like Declan and Brody and Steve. I can understand where they're coming from because you know I've been there too, right? I'm one of the top defensemen in, on this team and um, looking to to stay that way for a while. But I also understand what it's like to not be playing a lot, to get skipped over for a couple shifts to you know, realize, Hey, I'm not playing well. And the coach just isn't going to play me and have to stay mentally engaged in that game without, and trying not to be a bad teammate. Right. And so um, I, I think our guys have been, have done a phenomenal job of kind of growing as a group. And 
Um, as far as my leadership style goes, it's kind of like my personality, like we'll get it done. It'll happen how it happens. But, you know, I, I think the, the guys we have in the locker room have really made my job easy because, you know, I, I kind of keep everybody on the right track, but really, I don't, I really don't have to do a whole lot of that. It's more, more being a supportive leader and making sure that they understand that, you know, some things may happen, they may happen well, things might go well and not, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have guys reach out to me and say, Hey, like I'm having trouble with this. What can I do? Like I had one of my teammates, uh, I think the year after he made the national team, Josh Hargis, he reached out and he was like, man, I'm just kind of tired. Like I'm burnt out. Like I, I worked so hard to make this team to finally get here. He's like, I watched you guys win in Sochi and Pyeongchang and man, like I just, it's not as fun to get up, get up in the morning and work out and get to the rink. And he's like, what can I do? I'm like, just take a couple weeks off. You t- I always take at least two, three weeks off of skating because I know after that two, three week period, I'm itching to get back on the ice. I'm like, if you try that and let me know how it goes, he was like, that cured it. Like I just needed a little <laughs> break. He's like, I've been yeah. just burning myself out. And so those are the, the moments that I can real that I have with guys that I can really look back and say, Hey, I'm having a positive impact um, with that little uh, C on my Jersey. Yeah. And now, so you've been the captain for the last four, four seasons yeah yes four or five yeah first year was 17 18 yeah so yeah so the paralympic year and then Mm -hmm. you come in and and now still still yet again so i wanted to kind of spin it forward and now that you are preparing for the paralympics which will be in beijing um in march of 2022 what does this next year look like for you what is the what is the preparation process like um you know you guys get however many times you do together as a team um but what what are you doing on a day in day out basis as you get ready for, you know, the biggest event of, of every four years. Yeah. I mean, um, so world championships ended last, last week. Um, and then in two weeks we have tryouts again for the Paralympic team, just because of the the timing of everything. So right. we'll start our first camp probably in September or October. But for me, you know, I'm working with my trainer, Jeff Lebecchio. He trains a lot of the uh, hockey players. Uh, I know, I think you were on his podcast y- with him yep. and Topher. Yep. Um, yep. I know Jeff. So he's, yeah, him, him, me and Cash actually work with him and he's been revolutionary in, in kind of not reinventing myself, but finding, you know, I don't know, I had a little bit of a mindset issue, I think in 2018, where I was just happy to kind of be there, be that veteran presence. And now I just want to be the best athlete I can be right now. And I know I still have a lot in the tank and I think he really helped me kind of be physically fit so that I didn't, so that I wasn't beating myself down mentally and I could really kind of get over that initial hump. So you know, we're working with him. We do two push days, two pole days because leg days don't really do much for sled hockey athletes, at least ones with no legs. Yeah. Um, but he has us uh, in the gym. We're doing hand eye stuff. I've been learning how to juggle. So I'm basically a circus act. Uh, so that might be my career after hockey. Who knows? <laughs> but um, but so we're doing that. We're skating a couple times a week, uh, usually once a week with Steve's goalie coach, um, which has been pretty awesome for me, too, because, you know, as much as he's helping Steve stop me. He's helping me see where the holes are and knowing how to beat other goalies. And obviously I think it paid off in that world champ, this last world championship. Um, but eventually I think usually after January, we're going to get together and we're all going to move into a centralized training location for a residency program. Um, and then we'll head into Beijing in March and we'll be together for, you know, three, four days, usually once a month from October until January. And then we'll be training and living together um, just to kind of, you know, gel to get some fine last minute details, uh, ironed out because I think, 
I mean, in that first game against Canada in the Worlds this year, we saw the, what 16 months apart looks like and not being right. on that same page the entire time. I mean, obviously, we, we won the games we had to. Um, Coach Sauer used to say you don't have to win them all. You just have to win the right ones. But I think we're really looking forward to making sure that, you know, we're ready to go for all five games or six, however many we have to play uh, in Beijing. Yeah, it's uh, it is a you know it's it's a it's a marathon to get to the sprints because it, it doesn't last real long um, when you actually get down to the tournament. You did mention Jeff Sauer, and I didn't want to ask you about what it was like to play for him. Such a legendary coach in, in USA hockey, you know, coach at the the junior and senior level. Um, obviously, won national championships with Wisconsin, um, and and you know had a had a tremendous coaching career, and and you know just another person that we've lost uh, too soon. Um, and you know, I just wonder. What are some of the things that you took from him and uh, and having the chance to play for for a guy that's that's really done it all? Yeah. Oh man, Coach Sauer. He, I I really can't underestimate the impact that uh, that he had on me. I mean, he was one of my biggest influences. He still is. Um, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that really helped me reignite my my passion and my love for hockey. I mean, after 2011, our coach was kind of just a a little bit of a downer, kind of an older school coach and just kind of wore on me for a while. And then they brought sour in that next year. And I was like, all right, I'll give it another try. Cause I was really thinking about, you know what, maybe I don't need to keep doing this. Like I, it's not any fun anymore. So, and then I remember, you know, coach sour would sometimes split us up two different colored jerseys and throw a tennis ball out the first two minutes of practice and say, all right, this is your warm up. go play seven on eight or whatever it might be, you know, just go. And so, you know, for us to be able to, to, have fun like that and play small area games, but still learn a lot. Um, I think that really helped this program. And he, he turned us into, well, maybe we can win to, we can win any, any game that we, we want to. And I mean, the impact on, he had on just our coaching program on, you know, our players. I mean, it was, it was so impressive. I mean, he always used to walk into the rink and with a huge smile on his face, he'd say, there's no, there's no fun in hockey. And, you know, he always said that ironically. And I, I love telling people that because, you know, there's never, as long as there's no fun in hockey, then, you know, I'm never going to quit because he's just, he, he was such a, he was a larger than life figure. He was really, really calm. And one of my favorite Jeff Stower stories was the very first time he, uh, the first year he coached our team, we, um, we ended up going to Norway for the world championship. And through the entire season before that, he had never raised his voice. He was always just this kind, old, kind, gentle, giant kind of figure. And then we get into playing Estonia in the first game um, and we weren't doing great. And I remember him screaming on the bench and I was like, who is this guy? He's never once yelled at us. And now he is freaking out. He's yelling at the refs. He's yelling at us. Cause we were just having a rough game. And, um, and then, I mean, we ended up uh, beating Estonia in a shootout. We lost to Czech Republic there, but we ended up winning the world championship. And um, it's, it, it's so funny because he, he, um, he actually used to coach the hard of hearing team. And yeah. I remember I'd always see him wave his hands at the, at the refs. And I asked him like, coach, like, are you just like, really just don't like it? He's like, well, it's also the sign language sign for, for calling BS. And so yeah. he's basically saying, I'm saying it's calling him calling BS on him without actually having to say it. So they don't actually know what I'm saying. I'm like, that's, that's a coach <laughs> sour, subtle tactic right there. <laughs> yeah. He's a just phenomenal person. And, and, you know, just a, a joy to be around any chance. I, I didn't get a ch many chances, but when I was, it was, just one of the nicest human beings you could ever want to meet. And I, I always, I always knew that he would do uh, such a phenomenal job with your team and, and get you guys to the, to the next level. And now, now you're at a, you're in a position to win a fourth consecutive 
Paralympic gold medal. Um, this is, we're talking like sixties era Soviets kind of situation here, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a level of dominance not seen in, in, in sled hockey. I mean, you're already there um, through with the three consecutive uh, with the two consecutive even, um, you know, so at this point, when you do have a streak going like that, is it, how do you manage that? Because it is, I'd say that there's got to be a, some level of pressure, especially for some of the guys like you, yourself and Steve Cash, who have, who have been there and, and I, you know, have a chance to, to add another gold to the, to the ledger here. I mean, what, what is that? How do you prepare for something like that? It seems that's, that's so much larger than yourself, I would say. I mean, it's, I really just tried not to think about it, to be honest. <laughs> well, sorry, sorry uh, for bringing it up, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really, I mean, it, it it's kind of weird to me. I had one of my teammates after we won uh, this past Saturday and he was like, how many, how many world championships have you gotten? I was like, Oh, I guess it's five. Like it's weird to think about. Cause it's not something I want to think about just because, you know, like I said, you got to look at every day as, as a new day. And um, our coaches ended up uh, getting us a shirt that said, uh, today is guaranteed, but you have to earn tomorrow, but the today is guaranteed. It's a red shirt. The today is guaranteed is written in red font. And everybody was like, why, why is it written in red font when it's a red shirt? And they're like, today's guaranteed. You don't have to worry about today, but you really need to focus on looking forward to tomorrow. And so I think it's always, it's just about that growth mindset. It's about making sure that, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves in the right position to, to be successful. And I think it's tough. Like, I don't want to think about it a ton, but I also, at the same time, you know, it's a sense of pride. It's, but it also gives us a sense of calmness. I think it's nothing that, you know, Oh, wow. The pressure's on us to win a fourth consecutive. No, the pressure's on everybody else to beat us because we've been here before we've won before we know what it takes and we know the sacrifice it takes uh, whether it's in the rink or away from it. And so I think to be honest, I know everybody has, we have a bullseye on our back. That's for sure. But I think the pressure's on everybody else to catch up to us. And I think that just let's, I know it's, it lets me just go out and play hockey. I don't have to feel too much pressure one, because I know I have Steve cash behind me. So if I screw yeah. up, I've always got him. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the whole reason I moved to St. Louis. I figured if I can train with him, I'll, I'll obviously get pretty good, but I think really like it, it comes down to, we know we have a great team. We, we really enjoy playing for each other and we'll sacrifice anything we have to for each other to win a gold medal. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I did want to ask about Steve and we brought him up a lot, but I, I think that it, it he bears mentioning because I, I had an interesting conversation with Taylor Lipset on Twitter recently. And he says, he's like, you think Steve Cash could be the first sled hockey player to go into the hockey hall of fame? And I was like, that's a really good question. Like, I think, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like why not? Right. You know, I mean, so Steve Cash, has been the sled hockey team goalie for like what, 16, 17 years almost now. I, th I feel like it's mm -hmm. been, it's been forever. Um, he's got four, four Paralympic medals, three of them gold, three consecutive golds. He's got, you know, however many, many, many world championships as well. And now you, you skate with them all the time. So, I mean, what, what is it that makes Steve cash one of the elite sled hockey players in the history of the game? That's a great question. And if he's not the first sled hockey player to go in the hockey hall of fame and the U S hockey hall of fame, I am going to just, rant up a storm on Twitter, on Instagram, <laughs> on, on, in a newspaper, anywhere that'll give me a platform, right? Like the guy is, he, he was, a, a, I don't know, a top, he was the, he's been the top goaltender since I've been around sled hockey or been, been around the national team. I mean, there were times, you know, Canada would beat, beat the U S three to one and he'd have 35, 40 saves. And it would just seem ridiculous. Like this guy's keeping everybody in the game. And now I feel bad. We only gave up one shot and it went in, uh, in the last, last world championship game. And I, I didn't realize he hadn't faced, 
he'd only faced the one shot in the first period. And so after the second, I was like, Hey, uh, Steve, you're doing a great job of setting up pucks behind the net because I guess the Canadians had dumped it in a few times. We'd been on some power plays and he was like, well, I got to do something back there. I'm like, I mean, well, you're doing a hell of a job. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but I mean, he, he's such a fierce competitor and he puts a lot of pressure on himself, but I think, I think that's kind of what makes him great. Like he, he does have that, just that swagger to him that he knows he can, he can stop anybody at any point. Um, obviously, you know, pucks sneak by him sometimes, but he, he's always looking ahead to that next one. He doesn't really dwell on the past. He doesn't really focus on, you know, a goalie lets in because the next shot's always the most important. He just has this fierce competitive drive that, you know, helps him, you know, he's technically sound. Yeah. But he's going to battle around that net to make sure that you're not able to get the, the advantage on him. And he's just, he, he's such a great human being that um, he actually ended up standing up as a groomsman in, in our wedding uh, two days ago. And so um, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine a, a better guy because he's, he's a, an A plus teammate, but he's also a fierce competitor and he finds a way to balance those two personality traits really well to where one minute he's juggling and getting ready for a game. The next he's kicking himself in a head in his head with a, his backwards foot. I mean, he's just, he's a fun loving guy and he, he enjoys celebrating and, and you know, all the, the fun parts that come with being a part of the team. But you know, when it's time to dial it down and he has something to say, everybody listens because he's just, he's, a legend of, of the sport. And I'm proud to, I get to call him my teammate and I live, you know, 25 minutes away from him. So we get to hang out whenever it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he is a special individual. Um, no question about it. I mean, I've, I've been amazed by, by his performance and really seeing him go from that, that kid in that 2017 uh, or the 2007 world championship that I was at. And to see him now as this one of the elite elite performers, it's pretty incredible. So um, so anyway, I also wanted to ask you about, since you did just mention you did just get married, congratulations again. I'm, I'm, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and thank you for joining me just in the, in the, while basking in, in wedded bliss. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what's life like away from the rink for you. And, and you know, you've got, you know, you've written a book, you have, you do motivational speaking. Um, you know, what are, what are the things that, What's, what's life like away from, from the rink? And then also the, how, if at all, does that change um, in a Paralympic year as you're trying to get prepared for, for what's a, a huge event? Yeah. I mean, uh, hockey is a big part of what I do, but it's not the only thing I do. And so um, as far as like writing a book, lessons learned my journey to the podium, it was, it was really a, a just cool experience because uh, after 2018, I kind of realized like I'd graduated college in 2016 and I'd gotten a job and I just, I realized I couldn't balance the way I wanted to. I couldn't balance being an elite athlete with, you know, working a, a nine to five. And I, I, I mean, I worked for some of the greatest people ever. I worked for a small finance company and they, they gave me all the time I needed to go compete. And I, I mean, they weren't the reason that I had to kind of move into my own thing, but I just, I needed to find a way that I could, I could control my own destiny more or less. And I think motivational speaking and writing a book was kind of the way I could do it. I used uh, actually talk with Taylor Lipset and he hooked me up with a, uh, a book coach. So I was able to actually write my whole book, but he helped me kind of lay it out in a, in a format that, you know, one people would benefit from. So it wasn't just the ramblings of some guy that's, you know, won a couple gold medals, but it also, you know, made sure that it, it gave something for people to take away. Cause I want to give them, uh, I mean, it's called lessons learned. So obviously there's a few lessons I've learned that I wanted to impart. Um, but I really wanted to give people, you know, an inside look at what it, 
what it looks like to, to be an elite sled hockey player, to, you know, live my life, to, you know, have my mom take my legs into shoe stores because it wasn't worth dragging all of me in. She just needed to make sure the shoe fit. Otherwise, I mean, as a, you know, a toddler, why are you drag, dragging the toddler in if you can just take the leg off? And so, um, you know, while my dad and I would stay at home, she'd go run and get us shoes or get me shoes. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of humor because obviously I like to have fun. I'm not just, a, I don't know, a droning on kind of guy, but um, I think combining that with the, the speaking, it's, it's been really fun because I get to, to see the aha moment that kind of lights up in people's brains or people will share with me on Instagram and Twitter and say, Hey, I love this part of your book. I had one, one lady tell me that, you know, she start. she was like, I was crying while I was in the middle of laughing. I just couldn't get over it. I was <laughs> like, wow, like that's, that's the really cool part about doing stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I, things will change a little bit. I probably kind of taper down uh, once we get closer to the, the games, as far as like speaking engagements, but um, anybody can find me on joshpauls.com. That's probably my main point of contact. If you're looking for a speaker, whether it's in St. Louis or, or around the country, whether it's on zoom uh, or in person, um, I have realized over the pandemic, zoom's kind of tough. Cause I, 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 I don't know, I guess I react pretty well off of the crowd energy and I get mm -hmm. to see, you know, what seems to be connecting with people. And it's really tough a little, little bit on zoom, but I did a, I have done a couple of things with like schools and businesses over zoom that have gone pretty well. And so, um, obviously things will, will, will taper. I'm not going to be doing any speaking from Beijing. That's where my focus is going to be completely on hockey, but, um, you know, heading into it and then probably directly after Beijing, it's going to be finding some time with my, my wife who just is absolutely the most supportive person, even though hockey's not her forte. I know it's pretty awesome though, to be able to come back and not really, I even have to think about hockey for a little bit. I mean, she'll listen to me. She'll let me rant. She'll let me, she'll support me in whatever I say, but I know at the same time that I don't need to feel pressured to talk hockey with her. And that's the kind of cool part, you know, we'll watch a, a Netflix movie or watch uh, Cap Falcon or Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I guess it was Falcon and the Winter Soldier when it started um, <laughs> or different Marvel movies and all that. And so, yeah. you know, it's nice to be able to have those interests outside of the game to kind of decompress when I need a little bit of a break, because I mean, it's such a, a physical and mental grind, you know, going for months at a time. Um, but to be able to come back and, and I don't know, just, I don't know, celebrate her and how, how much she supports me. Cause like I said, I'm moving, to some location in January. And so she's going to be without me for a few months. And uh, that's bad news. Cause I do most of the cooking in the house. So uh, <laughs> I might have to freeze some meals for her so that she's, she's got some uh, ready-made stuff. Not that she can't cook, but um, I definitely enjoy it a little bit more, but so yeah, yeah life's a little, little different at home, but um, I mean, I don't think anything's going to change too much aside from, you know, being gone and moving somewhere for, for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I know that all of us are excited to see, you know, your progression and, and you guys go for another gold medal. I mean, it's the one thing, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, it, it feels to me, at least anecdotally, seeing it from the outside, and you'll have to tell me how it feels from the inside. It just seems like the Paralympic Games has been given a, a larger platform over the last couple of years. We've gotten live sled hockey. We, we were able to watch you guys in Ostrava on the Olympic Channel, um, you know, and, and they, you know, re-aired the game on NBC Sports Network. So there has been um, at least a push to, to bring the Paralympic Games more into a mainstream setting where, where sports fans are going to be able to find it and see it and, and, and not have to go searching for it so much. So I just wonder from your perspective, how is that, you know, has that changed and, and, and how has that helped or, or is there more that can get better? I mean, and is there more that you'd like people to know about the Paralympic movement? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's grown exponentially. I mean, in Vancouver, you know, you had to go on to find the stream somewhere and now, and you know, I'd wear my Paralympic apparel. Cause you get, you know, 12 different bags of stuff when you go there and I'd wear it out and they'd go, Oh, Hey, like, who do you support? And I'm like, Oh, well, no, no, this is my jacket that I wore when we were at the games. And they were like, Paralympics, I have no idea what that is. And now, you know, I was at, uh, at the grocery store past year and I had that, had a jacket on and they were like, Oh, what sport do you play? Oh, sled hockey. I remember watching that game. Like, it's really cool to see it people connect and not ask as much they already know about it they already have heard about it they're they're excited about it because I've never met anybody that's walked into a live sled hockey game that's going on at a local rink and gone eh that's yeah. okay it's always <laughs> oh my gosh how do I see more of this and so I mean to see the top players in the world compete on that world stage in in any sport but I think sled hockey has been one of the premier winter sports and so I know we're obviously fortunate to to be in that position because that means our games get the better air times and you know more people are able to watch it they're not having to to stay up super late or wake up super early um, all depending on time changes obviously but I think it's just really cool to see how far it's come I mean Vancouver was was big. Sochi was bigger. I mean, the media presence in Sochi was incredible. And to to have, you know, 8000 fans loudly cheering you on, you know, to go to um, the Paralympics in 2018 and have 10,000 people in the stands and, you know, be able to pick out your family members in the crowd was really, really cool. Um, So I think it's it's grown a lot, but I think there's definitely more places for them to grow. It's more about how people can tell stories and you know, not looking at it just as, oh, wow, you've overcome so much. It's, it's celebrating these players for, for the accomplishments they've had and for being an elite athlete and being looked at as an elite athlete, not a, oh, well, he's a Paralympic athlete. Like we, we get that a lot. And I think that's a perspective we're really looking to change because, you know, we're putting in just as much work as anybody else in any other sport. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that's, I'm, I'm glad you made that point because I think, you know, have, having been around your team before, it, you just see it and you see the, the dedication and everything. And, and I'm glad that you said that because yeah, a lot of more people need to understand like you guys, I mean, you're working with Jeff Lavecchio for Christ's sakes. You gotta, I mean, you're, you're, you're putting up the, you're, you're working real hard if you're working with Jeff, but uh, you know, I think that that's, that's really, it's really great to, to see that, you know, and it's also paying off for you guys as well in, in, in gold medals and in, hopefully more opportunities for you to speak to people. And I, and again, joshpauls.com, everybody check it out so that you can get, uh, get Josh and, 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 you know, uh, you can also find him on Twitter at spuds USA 27. Where does spuds come from now? Where um, long term, so, long-term nickname. Yeah. So they used to, uh, we brought, I don't know, we had like a team warm up trainer, put his hand on my head. Uh, right after and he said oh it feels kind of like a potato and then one of my teammates got me a Mr. Potato Head figure um, <laughs> and I just started being called spuds I used to face my Mr. Potato Head towards the uh, the opposing locker rooms and that was my good luck charm and then I finally had to retire I mean he was pretty busted up and I mean you know how it is traveling through airports um, but the best part was I think he had ended up losing both of his arms so I figured we made a pretty good match if I had I was missing my legs he was missing his arms but, um, yeah, I've started, cha- I've changed my routine a little bit. I don't carry him, carry him around anymore, but it's, uh, it's the name stuck with me and it's almost weird to be called Josh, um, yeah, in hockey circles at least. Yeah. Well, well, thanks spuds. I appreciate it. And that's at spuds USA 27 on Twitter, joshpauls.com. Uh, the book is lessons learned. Um, and also make sure to, 
follow this team as they, they make their push for a fourth consecutive Paralympic gold medal. Uh, we'll be watching spuds and uh, we thank you so much for taking the time to talk on, uh, talk with us on talking hockey sense. Wish you nothing but the best is uh, in both married life and in your sporting life as you prepare for the Paralympics. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Once again, my thanks to Josh Pauls for joining me on the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. What a great guy. What a great conversation. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. A lot there from, from Josh. He did mention Jeff Lavecchia, too. I want to give him a quick shout-out. His podcast with Tover Scott, the Hockey Think Tank, which I was on earlier this year. And uh, if you want to hear from the guy that trains Josh Pauls and and and, and all that, that's a, that's a great podcast to check out. So once again, thanks so much, Josh, and best of luck in your preparations. All right, so we're going to switch gears. Before we get to the Q&A, I did want to address the just tragic news of the week of Matisse Kivlenix dying at age 24 in a tragic accident. And the, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender, he's a prospect, you know, obviously above all else, a, a person and lost too soon in, in, in such a, a, an unfortunate and tragic way. Um, you look at the outpouring of support from former teammates, and, and not just at the NHL level. We're talking junior hockey everywhere. Um, this guy was beloved. He, he was beloved, and, and you know when you have that many people come out and offer their, their memories, and you just see what he was as a person through their words and through their, you know, through their memories of him. And I wanted to take a minute here because as i mentioned we're we're talking about a person a 24 year old young man who had his whole life ahead of him and 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 gone too soon but i think that his his on ice legacy is going to be part of the overall story of matisse kivlenix and he is such an interesting player uh you know to the path that he took to get to the nhl the fact that he achieved his dream and the 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 number of rungs on the ladder he had to climb to get there i wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about that because this is a young man that left his home in latvia he's born in riga and you know played in in the latvian club system and you know at a very young age he decides to come to north america but he doesn't go to the North American Hockey League or the USHL right away. He went to the Minnesota Junior Hockey League. And I bet there are a lot of people out there that have never heard of the Minnesota Junior Hockey League. It, it, it doesn't doesn't exist anymore, for one. It was a Tier 3 Junior Hockey League. Um, and, you know, most of the guys that were playing in that league, the best that they were going to do was probably Division 3 college or maybe ACHA club college. And, and that was, you know, their best bet to get to those levels. It's very rare that anyone would come out of that league and go to the National Hockey League. Matisse Kivilenix did. And he started with the Adina Lakers and played 39 games in that rookie season, had fair numbers, then played the following season for the then-renamed Forest Lake Lakers, 33 games, 930 save percentage. So he caught the eye of the North American Hockey League's Cooley Region Chill, which is you know the, the team out there. And... Gets in the 2015-16 season, gets into 29 games in the North American League and has a 925 save percentage. That earned him a shot with the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL. So here he is in his last year of junior hockey. He gets to go to the USHL. He's playing Tier 1 Junior A, and he was dominant. 932 save percentage, 49 games played, 1.85 goals against average, 5 shutouts, 36 wins in 49 appearances. I mean... Incredible season and had a great postseason. 
as well. And out of that, so coming from the Minnesota Junior Hockey League, going to the North American League, then the USHL, he's just climbing and climbing the ladder, gets a pro contract, plays for the Cleveland Monsters of the AHL, goes directly from the USHL to the AHL, which is a huge jump. And he managed it well. And, you know, he didn't, his numbers aren't, weren't, weren't, were not amazing, but he was in the mix and he was developing and he was, and he was, you know, getting to that next level. Following season, more games in the AHL, some games in the ECHL. Season after that, more games in the AHL. He earns his NHL debut, play, appeared in six games with the Blue Jackets in, in that season, played in two NHL games in this most recent season, and then uh, was looking really good in the AHL. And it looked like he was probably going to be part of the Blue Jackets goaltending tandem next season, assuming that they may lose one of their goaltenders to the expansion draft. He also had the opportunity to play for his country and played for Latvia this year in Riga, shut out Canada. I mean, I watched that game. He was incredible in that game. And, you know, I was watching that game to watch Owen Power, and all of a sudden, Matisse Kivlenix just steals the show from everybody. And, you know, Canada went on to win the gold medal, but they got shut out by that team from Latvia, and it was Matisse Kivlenix in the net. And, and so what a great legacy for him to leave as a player, as a guy who climbed every rung, who had to work to get where he is, who made it, who was, you know, about to begin that career. And we've lost him too soon. But I, I think that that's a, such an important thing is this is a guy that's legacy is one of hard work, of being a kind person, of being a good teammate, uh, and of being, you know, just a good man. And, and it's just so, so sad to have lost him. There's no really easy way to transition away from that sad story, but I did want to get to your questions and I really appreciate all the folks that did chime in with questions for this year's draft. And we'll, we'll start with some of the questions for the draft. And then there were a few that were outside of the draft as well that, uh, that we'll, we'll get to um, just as, as some good questions came in from some of my friends and around Twitter and obviously subscribers. And so we'll get to them. So our first question is about the 2021 NHL draft. It comes for Chris Berberian, a, a Hockey Sense subscriber, and he's asked questions before and always appreciate that. Not sure if this question has already been asked, but could you envision William Eklund translating to as a center in the NHL? This is something that NHL teams are talking about amongst themselves right now. Eklund is a natural center. He played wing primarily this year with Jew Garden. Uh, he was great on the wing. I thought he was really good on the wing. He's got a little bit of that dynamic potential. He's, he's skate, he skates extremely well. Still has good two-way responsibilities, but I think that his offensive game really flourished, and he was able to play uh, real well. Now, he's not a big guy. He's about 5'10", 175 or so. And, and so I think that's one of the things that concerns teams about his ability to play center. You know, we, we don't worry about size as much for wingers anymore, but I think there is still a size bias for centers and that, you know, you if you want a guy to be a good two-way player – he needs to play, you know, he probably needs to be a bigger guy. And that's why I think, you know, Matty Beneers is a top center. Mason McTavish looks as a top center. They have that physical strength. They have the ability to play a physical game. I don't think that we have that from William Eklund. And, and, and that's not to say that he can't get there, but I don't see it as, you know, I think his, his hockey sense, his speed, all those things help. And obviously we see Braden Point right now, and he's not a big guy, and he's a great center. Um, you know, I don't think that that Eklund has that defensive capability that that a point has that 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 just that drive and um, you know the ability to get pucks the the way that Point does. But I, I think that Eklund, you know, that he at least is going to give himself a chance. I'm sure that teams 
that, that whoever he ends up playing for will will attempt that because it's just more valuable to be a center. You know, centers impact the game in more ways than wings do typically, and that's what you probably want from a player that you're drafting that high. You know, a top six winger is not as valuable as a top six center. Um, I don't know if necessarily Eklund could be a top six center, but I do believe he can be a top six winger, um, and so that's still uh, a very good uh, a very good chance. So that's uh, that's where I think that you know his value drops a little bit because I'm just not sure if there's a lot of belief in his ability to play center. And that brings me to the next question, which came from Twitter at Chris Pick eighty eight asked Beniers or Eklund. Very simply, well, if you look at the 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 rankings, the final rankings on Hockey Sense, you'll see that Matty Beniers is number two and William Eklund is number three. And I did make that uh, free. So if you saw that link, you could take a look at that uh, and, and see that those guys are two and three. And so the reason I have Beniers ahead of Eklund is just for a lot of the reasons that I just mentioned is I think that Beniers projects more favorably as a center. He is all always a center um you know he's he's much more defensively responsible his work ethic is unrivaled his competitiveness is is outstanding i think that he's one of the players that can impact the game in more ways than any other forward um that defensive skill that he has is important and he doesn't while while he doesn't have the dynamic skill of eklund i think he's similar in skating ability and, and he's just so much better in, in some of the, the the physical elements of the game uh that that gives him a bit of an edge there so Eklund, again, as I said, more dynamic, more offensively talented. Beniers is a bit more of a total package, and I think that's why uh, I have him ahead of, of Eklund and why I've had him so high on my board throughout this year is I just think Beniers impacts the game more ways than one. This next one comes from another Hockey Sense subscriber, Rob Lorich. How would you rate this year's top prospect skating ability? There seems to be a lack of elite skaters, and many prospects have skating listed as, uh, as a flaw. I can't recall a recent class that had so many top prospects being listed as average skaters. Well, Rob, I agree. I don't remember, and I think this is probably one of the weakest skating drafts that I I recall being involved with um, and, and tracking. And you are right. The the I think the reports are accurate. You look at a lot of players, and the you know we're always saying yeah you know he's he does this 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 but. And a lot of the butt for these players is that doesn't skate that well. And, you know, I think that, that that's not true of Matty Beneers. That's not true of William Eklund. Um, but then you start getting down and you say, okay, well, you know, Kent Johnson, Chaz Lucius, um, you know, uh, Brant Clark, we've talked a lot about the skating. Um, you know, guys like even further down the first round, Fedor Svechkov, Mason McTavish, you know, guys like that, that you say, okay, well, well, what gives? And, I think that just puts a premium on the guys that do skate well, but you know, you, you have to be more than a good skater. You have to have high end hockey sense. I think some of the guys in this class do. Um, and it, it's, it's a problem. I think the NHL gets faster. And as the NHL gets faster, you want your prospects to be able to keep up with that. And it's harder to project them out. Now I will say one other thing about this. I think one of the hardest traits, at least for me, and I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for me, I do not, enjoy evaluating skating off of video we're dealing with angles we're dealing with all these other things you're, you're trying to see how he skates relative to the other players on the ice when you're in person you can see everything a lot more up close and personal you can see the separation speed you can see this the the little quick distance the the short distance quickness that they need to close on pucks things like that those are all important important things um to to know uh, about 
the skating. And so skate. So I think that even looking at it off a of video, bad skaters, you can, it, it still stands out. You can see it. You can see their stride. You can see their technique and all those things. But I think it's harder for the, the good skaters to really showcase that speed. Um, so I think that has a little bit to do with it. But I would also say that having seen a good chunk of these guys live, there's not a lot of, of great skaters in this draft. And that's just something that, you know, you're going to have to deal with. And if that if speed is a priority for your team, if skating is a priority for your team, then you might have to make some some judgment calls based on who's available. All right, our next question comes from at Jake Baskin P by P, and this is uh, more about next year's draft class, but it has something to do with something that's coming soon in the World Junior Summer Showcase. What are Logan Cooley's chances at making the World Junior team now that he's been invited to camp? Well, if you don't know who Logan Cooley is, he's a 2022 draft-eligible prospect, 2004 born, who plays at the National Team Development Program. Uh, one of the top players there for their U-17 team last season. He'll be on the U-18 team this year, and he was the only underage player invited to the World Junior Summer Showcase. And so he will be there. And I, you know, I think it's going to be tough for him to make the team. I, I did see him at the World uh, World Under-18 Championship where he played as an underager. He had two assists. I thought he was one of USA's most threatening forwards. Certainly one of their best skating centers. Um, and again, that was an issue with that team. They didn't have the speed of, of previous U.S. teams. Um, I think that Cooley's speed does give him an opportunity. He's not a very big guy. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be in a 13th forward situation. Maybe it'll be a, you know, power play kind of guy, but he's got a lot of skills. He was over a point per game in USHL games between the U 17 and U 18 team this season. Um, you know, got, got some really good minutes at the world under 18 championship. And I, I, I think he's an outstanding player. He's got dynamic capabilities. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next and, and see where things go. But in terms of making the team, I would say that he has an uphill battle. I think that this team is going to be very heavy on 2002-born players. They're going to go older. I think that's the right play for them um, just because I think the players in that class are of a better quality than some of the younger players that they have. And I'd rather go with experience than necessarily um, you know, go with guys that, that, that you're not gaining a lot in terms of skill or speed. But Cooley is one of those guys who should stay in the mix the whole time. All right. We've got some some funnier uh, questions to go as well, but before we get to those, this one came from at Johnny Calvin on Twitter. Would love to hear what's possible for a Kuznetsov move and what that would look like. So, Evgeny Kuznetsov is is kind of one of those guys that's been rumored to be on the block or available. Um, the issue is with Kuznetsov is is he's viewed by maybe even the, the Capitals themselves, but other teams as well, as a declining asset. And in a flat cap, it's really difficult to, to add a declining asset. Now, Kuznetsov is 29 years old. He's got four years left on his current contract at $7.8 million. So it's, 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 a, you know, it's a reasonable for the production that he had before, but it's been a, a somewhat steady decline for him in terms of his points per game, in terms of his production, his reliability, you know, he's he's obviously you know, gotten in trouble a little bit, kind of with with things at the World Championship, and also, um, you know, there was the the whole COVID protocol situation this year in in Washington. But here's a guy that that has produced at the NHL level. He has a Stanley Cup. He was the leading scorer for the team on the way to the Stanley Cup with 32 points in, in 24 games. I mean, you know, we're talking about Nikita Kucherov and the scoring that he's done this year. That's what Kuznetsov has done. Um, 
didn't have any points in the three playoff games that he appeared in this season. So teams are going to be trying to figure out what really gives there. And, and again, I mentioned the declining points per game percentage um, for for Kuznetsov. And just to give you the hard numbers on that, in, in 17-18, he was averaging a point and a half per game. Or sorry, 1.05 points per game. The, fop, the next season, 0.95. 2019-20, this year, 0.71. So you're seeing that trend going down, down, down. And so he's he's really not close to the peak of the player that he was. Um, and, and when he, you know, a, a guy that earned a $7.8 million cap hit. So what I would, with that, I think the value changes for him. And I, I think if you're the Capitals, you're trying to shed salary, right? So you're, you don't want to necessarily take on salary, but you want to have something because you can't give this guy up for nothing. But you think about the addition of Anthony Mantha and how how much that is going to impact your team in terms of the scoring ability. Um, you know that makes Kuznetsov even a little bit more expendable. So I, I think teams out there are probably not going to be offering the things like first round draft picks. Um, I, I think it'd be very difficult to get that because I think you'd need more more than that. Maybe you know maybe there is a team that would say first round they they they'd live with that and say it's only the pick. Maybe in a straight up deal. But you're asking a team to take on a lot of salary in a flat cap world. And I think that's going to be a really tough ask for those teams. So I think you're, you're looking at um, not a lot of leverage in terms of, of the deal that you can make if you're, if you're Brian McClellan. And I think that that's, that's where we're going to see um, how creative they can get if they're going to move them at all. And maybe it's worth just holding on to them, letting them continue to play there and, and be, be a guy that can, can, can still produce or maybe find his game again. But, you know, as he gets older, it's, it's going to be harder for him to do that. And I, I think at this point, you know, you're, you're hoping for a pick and a prospect or a pick and a, and a young roster player uh, at most, but I don't think it'd be a first rounder if you're, if you're looking for a package kind of situation. All right. Some of the funny questions. We'll start with at NHL history girl, who is your favorite historian and why is it me? And are there any good up-and-coming right-catch goalies? So, so you did add a serious one in there. But, yes, uh, Jen, at NHL History Girl on Twitter. Definitely follow her for some great updates and so many good things. Um, she's just got uh, just a well of, of hockey knowledge, dates, facts, figures, um, and always shares them uh, with, with, with her Twitter followers. So a great follow there. But also the, the up-and-coming right-catch goalies. I mean, I think you know there aren't a ton of right-catch goalies out there. Um, there's, you know, they kind of match the, the, the population of, of, of left-hand dominant people, but these right catching goalies, uh, uh, the guy that's up and coming is Yaroslav Iskarov for, for the Nashville Predators. And he didn't have an amazing season this year. I think a lot of people were disappointed with his progression from his draft season, but I'm not really worried about him because I've seen him at his best and I know what that looks like. And, and when he's on his game, he's one of the best young goalies in the world. And so I think that's the name to know for right catch goalies. They, he makes things so challenging on shooters. And obviously you add in that element of the gloves on the wrong hand, if you're a shooter and you're saying, okay, well this changes things for me. Uh, so you have that. So you have his talent plus his his unique uh, being a, a right catch goalie. That's the guy to watch. My good friend at Sean Leahy from NBC Sports. Will the ghost of Jack Riley be the season two villain on Mighty Ducks Game Changers? Well, I again thank you for the question because I know that you know Mighty Ducks. It's kind of my beat on top of the prospects thing. Let's just say Coach Riley. In the original Mighty Ducks movie, 
had maybe one of the greatest heels of of the modern of modern cinema. I mean, you could say Hannibal Lecter, you could say um, you know, uh, Scarface, you could say anybody. Tony Montana, you could say anybody. Um Jack Riley and the popped collar, chilling. Absolutely chilling. What a move. What a power move. But it's Pee-wee's, man. Come on. You know like, I mean, it's not worth winning if you can't win big. I mean, that's not what we want to be teaching our kids. That's what makes him so chilling. I think he's, he's he's a villain. So I hope he does come back. I mean, I think the actor that played him has since passed. But uh, if it's going to be the ghost of Jack Riley, that's even scarier. So yeah, let's let's do that. Let's see. Uh, let's get that Disney Plus CGI going, and I'm all for it. And and seeing what that does to uh, to Gordon Bombay. Last one comes from at Nova Canuck. Would you rather fight two Cole Caulfield sized Brendan Gallagher's or two Brendan Gallagher sized Cole Caulfield's? Well, they're not that much different in size. I think Cole's a little bit smaller than Brendan, but uh, I would not like to fight either because I'm very non-confrontational. I'm not good at fighting. I never have been. Um, my uh, my go-to move on the ice was usually to talk trash and then hide behind a bigger teammate, um, which you know was was probably smart on my part because I wasn't very strong or big or any of those things. So I would rather fight neither. Uh, but I do want to say, what a playoff for Cole Caulfield. Whether Montreal, you know, as as, as we record this, the cup hasn't been awarded. But, you know, three three overtime points for him. You know, he's already the, the highest scoring collegiate player um, that, you know, started his season in college, ended it in the NHL and in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, think of some of the guys. Neil Broughton did, had done that. Chris Kreider, uh, notably Kale McCarr. Uh, but here's here's Cole Caulfield playing an outsized role, and you know, just just goes to show you that uh, you know we talked about size earlier, especially when you're a wing, it doesn't have to matter as much. And he has clearly shown that he, in, when the season is toughest, he still can produce. So, what a bright future for him! Still Calder eligible next year, which is ridiculous. All right, that just about does it for me. want to remind you once again, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a, a kind rating and a review. And we've got 43 five-star reviews on on, uh, on Apple Podcasts as we speak here. So if you could be so kind to leave another one, uh, make sure to leave uh, those those ratings and the, the, the reviews. And writing a little bit helps people know what the podcast is about. Just let us know how you're enjoying it. I'll uh, maybe read a few on the podcast. So yeah, leave some five star reviews and and we'll we'll read them on the podcast next week because I need your uh, I don't know I, I just need I need your support and I I, I thrive off of uh, the, that good energy so hopefully we'll it'll make the the podcast even better and also if you want to support this podcast in an even more meaningful way as in a, a way that uh, allows me to keep doing it and keep doing what I love to do um, go over to hockeysense.substack.com. Sign up for a premium subscription, get access to all the great draft content that's there, and so much more to come between now and the draft and beyond, because we'll obviously have post-draft reviews. I'll be covering the draft live, not in person, because nobody will be in person. It is a virtual draft, but I'll be covering it um, on Twitter. We'll have a lot of updates there. I'll be doing you know pieces and, and content that'll be available on the site immediately into your inbox. So please do sign up for Hockey Sense on Substack. It helps us keep this train rolling. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.